to show and tell now, shall we? What's good, beautiful people of the world? I am a slightly better sounding now that I have these dope-ass soundproof boards, Creator K. Well, at least hopefully I sound a little bit better. I'd like to think that. Maybe it's just placebo, but hey, placebo placebo's not irrelevant. We could talk about that more later, but I we're not going to do that right now. Welcome to episode 30 of the Show and Tell podcast. Shout out Vin Diesel and Ice Cube if you don't get that reference. How poorly cultured can you be, honestly? A bi-weekly show on every first and third Tuesday of each month where a special guest and I share stories, music, and art that you should know about because sharing is caring. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. If you've listened before, welcome back. In this episode, I am joined by music producer and engineer 92 Elm, a talented artist who is not only focused on making great tunes, but helping others make great tunes as well. In part one of the episode, 92 and I talk music, how he's started to utilize his voice more often, quite literally, and how it's important to him to let his art speak for itself when showing it to someone for the first time. We also get his inside perspective on the craft of music engineering, specifically mastering, which is something that might seem simple enough on the surface, but certainly plays a role in how music sounds to us and how music changes over time. In part two, Mr. Elm shares with us a book that he holds in high regard, a book that has helped him realize that one does not need to have talent to succeed in anything. What's important is the work that you put in. With that said, it's time for Show and Tell. Welcome to episode 30 of the Show and Tell podcast. I'm your host, Creator K, and joining me on the show today is producer, engineer, artist. He's worked with two past guests that we've had, Malik Elijah and Diamond Gurr. It is none other than 92M. Hey, what's up, man? What's up? How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm also doing great. Um, just staying inside. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what we got to do right now. When people ask me what's new, I say nothing. Yeah, I'm 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 trying uh trying my best to like create a little variety day to day, like even just small, you know, small little tasks just to like just for my sanity so I can like differentiate mm. each day from each other. Do you go on daily walks like most people are doing? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll usually go running outside or like uh there've been a couple times where I've gone out hiking, um you know, socially distanced hiking, uh right. being being careful and all that, but yeah, now the the variety is something that has been difficult to find for me and for other people too, but I think we're becoming more creative people and imaginative, I would say, in this time. Yeah, it's I, I agree. I think it's it's been interesting to I mean, it's obviously just different for everybody, but I feel like there's this vibe sort of in the creative community of like people are sort of siphoning off into little their own little corner and just like trying new stuff like they're sort of experimenting a little more and um i know i've been doing that musically and like some of my friends that have i've heard some of the music they're working on and it's very different from stuff they were doing before i don't know if it's if it, it kind of feels like some of the pressure's lifted or something but i try to find the silver lining i think in most situations and so like definitely in this situation i'm trying to you know figure out just focus on like you know the small good things that come out of it for sure so for the listeners who don't know who you are why don't you tell them who you are and what you do my name is joe and i make music under the name 92 elm and yeah i mean that's my artist project so that's you know where where most of my releases go under um, but i also do a lot of engineering and production for other artists um and just generally 
really enjoy doing anything that has to do with like audio, sound, music, all that good stuff. Where did you get the name 92 Elm from? Yeah, so 92 Elm Street was the house that I grew up in as a kid um, in, mm-hmm. in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was telling you before, it was this really old house that was built in like 1772. Um, wow. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really cool, it was like a quirky yeah. house that had like, my, my um, bedroom closet had like a trap door that had a staircase that like led down into the living room and there were all these cool little like mini corridors and stuff. So it was like a really cool house to be in as a kid um you know me and my brother would kind of just like make up a bunch of games and stuff and it was this cool kind of like creative uh place to be in oh that's cool that was what i was gonna guess yeah i wanted you to to tell me in case i was wrong because i don't like being wrong yeah well yeah me neither um (laughs) a lot of people think it's because i was born in 92 but i was born in 93 so ah okay so you are a year older than i i was born in 94 so if i were to if i were to have a similar artist name i would be 94 wing Wing. Because I grew up on fifth. Well, no, that wouldn't make sense because 94 is if I if I <laughs> I would be 15 wing because that was the house that I was born in. But we moved. We moved when I was in third grade, which was interesting because like, you know, there's a a lot of people grow up in the same house and, you know, they go off to college and they come back to it. They have all the memories. We moved when I was in third grade. So I like remember part of the life that I had when I was at 15 wing street. But I remember a lot more, obviously, because I was older and I have more memories of that. I remember more of 86 Grant. So maybe if I made music and followed in your footsteps, I would be known as 86 Grant. Let's do it, man. Let's have a whole collective of have a know, coll- number street name. <laughs> that would be amazing. I wonder what we would call that. Um, I fear if I start brainstorming right now, this whole show will just go off the rails. So maybe <laughs> I'll just put that on the back burner. Yeah, yeah. Come back to Send that. me some ideas. Yeah. So... As I like to do with musical guests that are on the show, I like to play music that they make. So if that's something that you're interested in doing to give the listeners a taste of what you make, I can pick a song to play and you can pick a song. Yeah, for sure. Dope. So the track that I'd like to pick, I didn't discuss this with you beforehand. I actually don't even think I mentioned this bit, so I apologize about that in case it threw you off. Um, but I would like to go with Opia with Bearable. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Dope. So let's run that track and we'll talk a little bit about it after this. Thank you. 
That's a that's an unexpected choice. That's cool. Yeah, I am curious to know how do you feel when people talk about your older music because that is a track that came out in 2017. So yeah. it's been a few years and. I didn't pick that track because I don't like what you make now. <laughs> and I would I don't know if I would I would admit that either on the show. I think that would be I'd be some <laughs> some specific type of asshole. Um, but that's also not true. I just like this track. It was one of the first ones that I had heard from you in the SoundCloud days when SoundCloud was going strong back in the day, th- three four years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. And um, so that's why I picked the track. So, but how do you feel when people talk about your older music and? Does it bug you in any way? Is it like, oh, well, I have all this new stuff. Why are you still listening? Maybe not why are you still listening to the old stuff, but how, how do you just feel about people when they reference some of your older work? Um, yeah, that's that's a really good question. Yeah, I don't really feel any particular way about it. I mean, I'm happy, I guess. Like, I'm just glad if anybody finds a piece of something that makes them feel a certain way. So, like, I'm not... I know that's very common with whether it's like musical artists or any any kind of artist really where they kind of don't want you to latch on to their old work and they're like the newest thing they're working on is the best thing. Mm-hmm. I do think like I'm always sort of, you know, feeling like my current, whatever I'm, I'm working on currently is the best thing I'm doing, but I'm not, um, you know, overly critical of my old work or like I don't, you know, wish people didn't listen to it or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think any anytime someone finds something of mine, whether it's, you know, you know, two, three, four years old, whatever, um, that's just really cool that they're able to like have a good experience with it. It reminds me of a tweet that I saw from you as I was doing some of my research. Um, being the genius researcher that I am, going on people's Twitter's accounts yeah. to find, <laughs> come up with some questions. So I'm not going to get this right because that's not right in front of me, but you said something about playing music for people without saying anything to them before you play it, like giving them the caveats that there might be. Is, is this even, is this something that you yeah, said? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. I, I, I thought I was, about. I think I, I thought, I thought I was wrong for a second, but yeah, it's um, pushing your art to someone without saying, oh, just it's, it's not mixed yet. It's not mastered. It's not for, you know, if you're a visual artist, it's not color graded yet. It's not, this isn't the final cut. Sure. Why is that important to not, give people those caveats before you let them form an opinion about it. Yeah, that's it's so hard to not do that, like especially if you're the kind of person that is is critical of your own work. But I think it's important to not do that or, or to try to curb yourself from doing that because people just experience things in like vastly different ways. And the second you introduce the way that you're thinking about it or the way you're perceiving it, you're, you're coloring their like perception or their experience mm-hmm. a little bit. I, I find that especially, I mean, everyone's had the experience, anyone who like makes music, you know, has had the experience of like playing stuff for their parents and they're like, they have no idea like what, you know, an EQ on a snare is doing or what anything like about the minutia of, of production, but they understand like this part's energetic, this part's chilled out. Like they understand mm-hmm. really, you know, basic emotions associated with it so like when i'm what yeah when i'm playing stuff for people i kind of just want to get like the way that they see it yeah just like a little snapshot of the way they see it and and so i try to just shut up and (laughs) let them right let them tell me what they think word let's get a share from you what song do you want to share with the listeners that is a favorite of yours or might give them a nice little taste or maybe it's a combination of both what do you got for the listeners to play on the show yeah, man, that's that's good. Um, let's just go with my new one, Mood, the newest song I released. Dope. So this is Mood by 92L. Yeah. 
you start utilizing your voice literally on your music i started i mean I've, I've always like even when i first got into production i was always playing around with incorporating my vocals and it was in really subtle ways at first it was just little you know vocal fills like yeah uh like little things mm-hmm. like that that i would resample <laughs> and, and use as like effects and then i think the first track that i really like put my vocals more up front on was my track honest um, that came out in 2018, and mm-hmm. when I did that, it was it was just because, you know, it was just more of a personal expression thing, and um, you know, I was not thinking so critically about you know what could or couldn't fit on a certain type of song, and I, I just kind of like went for it. Um, I listen back now, and I think like my vocals are kind of cringy because uh, I think I've improved a lot since then, but. Um, yeah, I mean, at first it was just like from an expression point of view. And then nowadays I feel like it's more out of necessity because working with vocalists is a very lengthy back and forth process. Um, it's one I, I enjoy it a lot, but just waiting for stems in your email and like communicating with another person and they, they're recording themselves. Um, sometimes it takes a long time to get stuff done and I can be a little impatient, I guess. I like to have a vocal as early on in making a song as I can. So mm, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the times I'll, I'll, you know, write something or record something and then uh, it just kind of ends up being a song that I'm, 
that I have my vocals on. How easy or hard, you know, what's the level of difficulty that the process has been of, you know, kind of gradually implementing your voice and hearing it more in your music? Yeah, um, it's it's really hard. It's just so different from... I think I just had this realization like a while ago where it's just really like any other skill that you just have to clock in a stupid amount of hours to actually get good at it. So mm-hmm. I've done that with production and have spent thousands of hours doing that, but I haven't done that with singing. So, you know, why should I be a good singer? I, I shouldn't be unless I've put in the work. So, um, right. So I think that's been the challenging part is just like being okay with being a shitty singer for a little bit. And just the important <laughs> thing is not whether it's good or bad. The important thing is that I'm doing it and then I'm practicing it. Right. Um, Cause that's the only way to get better, I think. Right. And you get to learn new techniques that might help, you know, make your vocals better in the meantime while you develop your voice. No. Yeah, totally that. I agree. Yeah. So are you a firm believer in the 10,000 hours rule then? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's really funny you say that because that's actually my show and tell item uh, is the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Ooh, spoiler. I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah. So there's a chapter in that book where that's kind of the he's not the first one to come up with that idea, but he sort of popularized the 10,000 hours idea. Um, And yeah, it's one that, uh, you know, I'm very inspired by um, and have sort of that's kind of like my ethos, I feel like, for stuff that I do. Yeah, the 10,000 hours thing, I, I also strongly believe in and abide by. I, get, I don't mean maybe abide by is not the right way because I, or the right way to say it because I, it's it's such a underlying thing. I don't think that when you go into something, learning a new thing, you think, okay, I got to put in, in these 10,000 hours. You know, I got to put in five hours today. It's not a literal thing, right. obviously, because how are you going to track 10,000 hours? Yeah, it's just like a general approach. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just kind of like it's you need to put in this amount of work to master something. And I just think back to my best skill, which is video editing. And I'm definitely at the 10,000 hour mark now, but I don't ever classify it as that. I just think about, you know, all of the projects that I've done and all of the things that I've learned over over time. And I but even in the same breath, I don't feel like I'm still a a master in a way. I, I feel like no one's really a master in what they do in the arts because of how the envelope is constantly being pushed. I don't know. What's your viewpoint on that? Yeah, especially on that last part, I, I think you're totally right. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of I'm very fascinated with the idea of imposter syndrome and how like people of all levels of success can sort of experience that like feeling sort of that they're out of their depth or they're not they don't deserve the spot they're in or or whatever it is Uh, i think Mm -hmm. people would be surprised like even you know someone that we view as ultra successful could feel that way but then at the same time like and i'm sure you feel this with video editing like you do there is a clear sense of like when you get in a flow state and you're sort of just creating something and you're like i can actualize what's in my head into mm-hmm. you know onto this into the DAR into the this program um and in that way I do feel like okay like I definitely you know have my shit together like I know I know what I'm doing right um so it's kind of this weird uh, uh yeah there's like a duality there I guess yeah I guess maybe the the 10,000 hours now that we've talked about it a little bit more makes me think that it's it's more just about mastering the technique just knowing how to to use the tools that you have in any way so that you can do anything that you visualize. 
So you might not be a master of creativity because that's such an unquantifiable thing. But if you can master, for me, Adobe Premiere or Illustrator or Photoshop, then if you're a master of that, you've put in the 10,000 hours. Now you can kind of do whatever it is you want. Um, but even that, like there's so many, I'm sure it's the same with, you know, digital audio. Wait, is DAW digital audio workspace? Yeah, uh, workstation. Hell yeah. yeah. Yeah, you got it. I'm Hell yeah, dude. I'm so smart. And... Um, <laughs> But I think there's still things within those programs that people probably don't know about, which is weird because you might think that, you know, you might know all of these things and capabilities, but then you'll talk to a friend and they'll be like, oh, I know how to do that more efficiently. Or this is, this is a technique that I've learned. So it's even in that sense, I'm going in circle. I feel like I'm speaking in circles. I no, keep contradicting no, myself. No, that makes you know? a lot of sense, man. I'm, I, that's like one of my favorite parts about collaborating uh, with people. And, you know, I, I just end up learning different techniques or different ways to get to the same destination uh, that I never mm -hmm. would have found myself, probably. Um, like, I'm always trying to to learn, even if it's just something dumb like a hotkey. Um, you know, yeah. I learned, like, maybe last year that, you know, in Ableton Live, you can use zero to mute and unmute stuff. And, like, that just made my life right. easier, like, just by, you know, a half of a percent. But just small stuff like that. Um that you pick up from other people, I think is, is one of the values of like working with others or collaborating. Definitely. Definitely. The, the one that comes to the forefront of my mind is in Adobe Illustrator. If you use command D, it repeats the last step that you did. Mm. So if you were to nudge something, like if you were to use the left arrow key to push something over one pixel and you do command D, it does it again. And I say that, and I could just keep using the left arrow key cause it's the same thing, but it applies to other things. So yeah, there's a fun fact that people can take away from the show who are visual <laughs> artists. Right. And then there's something audio wise with uh, if you use Ableton. So outside of your production, you also mentioned, and I mentioned at the very top of the show that you are an audio engineer as well. So you mix and master audio. Can you explain to me, because this is something I've always wanted to know about. I have a very you know, base knowledge of what mixing, mastering, and just audio engineering in general is. But can you explain to me and the others who are lay people, just kind of regular audio people who might not under, not audio people, regular people who might not understand that, what that kind of entails? Like, what is mastering? That's that's a good question. I feel like, um, you know, there's more info about it out there now, but I feel like it's been sort of seen as like a black magic thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I, I certainly viewed it that way <laughs> yeah. for a really long time. Uh the the to a layperson, I think mastering is quality control. That's the way I view it. So like I'm the final set of ears to listen to something and to correct problems before a song is sent off to distribution for like Spotify and mm -hmm. Apple Music and stuff. Um and then there's obviously like that could that could entail a bunch of things, right? That could make sure that could be making sure that a song has the appropriate loudness. Um, it could be making sure that it's balanced. It's not too heavily skewed uh, towards the low end or the high end um, in, in relation to all the other records that are out there on the mm -hmm. internet because that's obviously an important consideration. And then just like making sure there's kind of like the boring stuff that people don't really think about, but just like making sure you have the right file formats, uh, making sure the sample rate and the bit rate is right because um, different distributors sometimes have different needs um, they need you to upload certain types of files and small things like uh, very often in 
tracks with vocals I'll find you know at one point in the song like three minutes and there's like a little click and or there's like a little a crossfade wasn't done properly so just again the quality control just like hearing the stuff that the people that are too close to it because they've made it um hearing that stuff and just being able to relay that to like the artist or the mix engineer huh gotcha yeah no i mean that makes a lot of sense you say that some of the settings are based on what's already out there and kind of what the industry has set how is it possible to kind of be creative within within those limits obviously there's certain things that because like who makes those rules exactly like you know yeah no that's that's definitely a good point i think um this is like such a there's a lot of subjectivity involved in this and it's like kind of a contentious topic with people like everyone kind of has an opinion on it but i think it just depends on who you're working with like if i'm working with an artist who wants to be more experimental then we'll kind of throw those rules out the window if i'm working with an artist who has a very clear goal and they're like i want this to sound like a pop record like xyz artist mm-hmm. or i want it to sound like you know a future bass record like San Holo or whatever it is, then I'm going to try to emulate um, sort of the tonal balance of a lot of those people's songs. But there's, I mean, I think that's part of what you said is part of what's making music so exciting now is people are throwing the rules out and just trying weird shit. Um, I mean, you mentioned um, William Crooks before we started recording and like, he's a great example of like his mixes are super weird and like technically sound like wrong quote unquote but they sound really right. cool because of that like you know some right because it's have... deliberate yeah exactly yeah so yeah. um yeah that's definitely a good point and i i know that that you say contentious i immediately think of tyler the creator's igor and how people are <laughs> right they immediately were mad about how it was mixed and mastered and just how certain things sounded and I think it was it was Anthony Fantano on one of his Let's Argues where somebody was like, Igor is lo-fi, and he completely ripped that to shreds because it's not I lo-fi. saw that, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it is really cool that you can kind of... It's almost like making entirely new genre of music. I don't know. Are you familiar with 100 Gex? They kind of... Sure, yeah. Another, really, another like, great example. Up. They kind of share that same sonic aesthetic as as will has and are kind of setting a tone for a lot of music that has been coming out you know within the last year or so just kind of having that really gritty and distorted sound and it's becoming its own style where it seems like some people you know at at the surface or at the beginning people might think it's kind of wrong like you said wrong but it's if it's deliberate and they're choosing to do it that way then who is to say that it's wrong Right. And I mean, in, in smaller ways, that's how like new genres and new styles are born in the first place. I mean, it, it seems crazy to think of a world where we didn't have distorted 808s or like 808s with a lot of harmonics <laughs> yeah. in them. But there was a time that we didn't have that. And when people started doing that, all the, you know, top engineers in the world were looking down on it being like, you know, that's clipping, it's distorting, it, it doesn't sound right. And now if you're not doing that, uh, you're kind of at a disadvantage. So yeah. Yeah, if you don't sound like a like a baby, like Playboy Cardi, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, that's it. Did you listen to Drake's recent album at all? I some people know how I feel about Drake, but uh, no. So I I haven't listened to it. Uh, how do you feel about Drake? So th- okay, I think this is the the official time where I demonstrate my yeah. view on Drake. Let's hear it. I like Drake as a person. I like him on SNL when he shows up. I think he's a funny guy. I think he's intelligent. I think he's good at what he does. I don't mind some of his music. I don't like how he 
I don't think jacking people's styles is the right way to say it, but I don't like how I don't think he does certain styles justice when he adopts them, if that makes sense. Like, you know, sure. now now he's starting to kind of dive into this UK style of hip hop. And I think that's really cool. And I again, I think Anthony Fantano, when he did the review on this album, um, I think he said it really well. And I share a, the same thoughts on it. I like that he is exploring this new sound, but I don't like that he is rapping in a British accent and using all of this slang, like as if he's from there, because he's not. And I don't, I don't like that at all. I think he kind of is a can be a poser a lot of a lot of the times in that sense. You know, it is what it is. He's obviously very talented, like I said, and really intelligent. And he wouldn't be where he is now without having, you know, some of the qualities that he has. See, but, I'm um, I'm not as in the yeah. loop with his newer music, really. Um, like my, I think when I when I think of Drake, I still sort of think of like nothing was the same, uh, mm-hmm. or that that like summer sixteen mixtape or what was it? If you're reading this, it's too late. Yeah. Um, like mm-hmm. I sort of think of that era. I I'm generally a fan of his music. I didn't really listen to like Scorpion or I think there was. I forget views from the six. I more didn't, life, I wasn't, more life. Yeah, there's a bunch of records that in the past, you know, like five or six years, I haven't really been a huge fan of. There's singles that you know um, I'll really latch on to. Uh, God's plan in my feelings, like the the big ones, but mm-hmm. kind of like we were saying with the ten thousand hours thing, it's not literal. I kind of view Drake the same way. It's like whether I like what he's doing in 2020 or 2021 or whatever. I think what's cool is that he seems to like he seems to have a really good knack for reinventing himself and just like sort of yeah. and just try, yeah like you were saying like trying new stuff out but um but I haven't heard I haven't heard the new record I haven't heard like this UK wave you're talking about so yeah I I mean it's worth a listen I I try to be open I have uh without knowing Drake obviously personally sometimes he comes across as a little like mm kind of like a little bitch <laughs> but i don't know i that might that'll upset some people but i i i think they know where i'm coming from when i say that i mean that like half jokingly the the only other thing that i'll mention quickly about drake that kind of bugs me and honestly who cares that it bugs me this is just my opinion <laughs> i don't like that i feel like it's a cop out the way that he calls calls his albums like playlists or this most recent one was called demo tapes and even just in name it's almost like it's not it's not technically an album. You can't judge it like it's an album. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's kind of a cop out in a way. Yeah, art, artists are so weird, man. I mean, I uh, myself included. Everyone's just super weird about how they choose to like represent and brand their stuff. And I don't think like I don't think it makes a difference for mo- like I don't think you know a random fifteen year old kid listening to this new piece of work that he put out is even thinking about whether it's a mixtape or an album. I think they're just listening to the songs and do I like it? Do I not like it? Right. You know, right. I guess I mean that it seems like it's almost a crutch for him to put out substandard product. That's kind of what I mean. Yeah. You you might be right. Yeah. But, um, but again, that's just opinion and he can do whatever the hell he wants. Just like everybody can (laughs) do whatever the hell they want artistically and aesthetically and, all of that stuff. Um, but that's, yeah, I, I, what a, what a rabbit hole to go down. And the reason I brought that up was because Playboy Cardi is tying it all together, has a, a, a feature on his track pain 1993. And he is like a literal, he just sounds like a baby. I know. I'm sure I've, you've I've seen people on Twitter, yeah. like having fights over this. So yeah, I'll have to go some people, to I'd say like 90% of the people 
that I've come across on social media didn't enjoy it. But then Chuck Sutton tweets, he's like, I, what's wrong with it? I like it. And then it's like, wait, but is it so is it actually good now? Because someone who <laughs> I really respect musically and right, has like right. this music brain can see the good in it or see it in a different light. And I, yeah, it, make, it makes me I think me I had the same thought. I think that's why why I saw Chuck tweet about it and then there's just a whole thread of people arguing about it, so. Yeah. Music Twitter, producer Twitter's funny. Yeah. Being an outsider who's also somewhat involved in the sense that I witness it because of the people I follow is, is, is an interesting world. Especially when it comes to like the mixing, mastering stuff and the standards. Because I don't know what people are talking about, but I th find it somewhat entertaining when there's like these arguments going on. <laughs> I don't get in the arguments, man. Oca very occasionally, I'll 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 tweet something, and people will. I f I don't know. Twitter's such a weird place in general, and I, I maybe it's just me reading into it, but I feel like people try to bait you into. Oh yeah, arguing, yeah. and I just have I have like no interest in doing that. Like I just don't engage. Like if if I sense that someone is like trying to has very strongly worded opinion i either just don't reply or i'm just like oh yeah that's a good point too not in like a not in like a patronizing way but just uh right i just don't want to argue on the internet <laughs> yeah it takes you know? a lot of energy and it never ends like the arguments don't end no one ever wins yeah before we move on to part two i had one more question about engineering but more broadly just your work in general so i assume that when you engineer for other people it's kind of, i mean it's kind of on like a freelance basis where people will contact you for a project, hit you up because they have liked what you've done in the past, so on and so forth. Is it kind of flow like that? Yeah, yeah. Usually that's it. Um, you know, there's there's certain people that I, I work with on a continual basis, um, just like certain artists that, you know, I feel like are, are part of sort of my musical family now because mm -hmm. we just work together so much. Uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of exactly how you described it. So I'm going to bring up another tweet as I do. Genius researcher here yet again. Um, you said something about saying no to projects. Like there's a time when it's okay to say yes when you're not so sure about having the time or energy to, to commit to a project. And there's a time to say no. That's something I struggle with hugely, mostly on the saying no aspect. People will contact me to design cover art or whatever it may be. And I struggle to say no because I don't know. We, we don't necessarily have to get into how I feel about it because you're the guest. How do you feel about, you know, saying no to projects or, you know, like you said, saying yes without necessarily knowing you can commit to it. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, I don't, I definitely don't have that entirely figured out. Like I'm still, you know, I, I still go back and forth with it. I think especially if you're the type of person that likes to have your hands full and likes to work on as much as you can work on, I think there's always the temptation to say yes to stuff. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's just to be creatively fulfilled or because you need the money or wh whatever it is, you, you want to say yes. And, but then there's the obvious pitfall of that, which is you could spread yourself too thin. You could be burned out. Um, and you could end up doing subpar work, which I think's hurt, which I think hurts you basically in the end, um, long-term. So yeah, I, I try to keep like a close eye on that. Like I try to take my temperature pretty often and just be like, how am I feeling? Am I feeling overwhelmed? Do I feel like I can take on more? I mean, that's for, more from like a work aspect, but then also just saying no to like, this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently and I've been trying to figure out how to say this without, yeah, sounding like preachy or kind of like a jerk, but just saying no to collaborations because I think that's a very common thing and I think people like struggle with a saying no to collaborations and B being rejected from collaborations. It's like a very mm -hmm. common thing in, in the music world. And, um, 
any, I mean, there's so many reasons you might say no, but anytime that I either don't have the time or I'm not interested in a collaboration or something, obviously nicely worded, but I just like to definitely tell people yes or no. So they have some kind of clarity on it. Cause I, I mm-hmm. really hate when people uh, waffle or they're sort of, you know, half in half out kind of thing. If that makes sense. Totally makes sense. I'm not as familiar on like the collaboration side of things from, you know, the sphere that I work in, but I know that for me, it's difficult to say no, because I don't like to let people down. I think it's an ego thing. I I don't know. I, cause I don't want people to have a view like, oh, he wasn't able to do that for me. Um, yeah, but I, I also want people to, if they have reached out to me for something that they want, they obviously admire my work in some way. Hopefully I, I don't know why else they would you know, reach out to someone, um, for something, but I, and I feel like if I don't get them something that they are looking for, then they are, they're not able to complete their vision in a way. And this sounds so, this sounds preachy too. I feel like I sound preachy when I talk about this and I, and I do equate it to kind of a, it's an ego thing in a way, but yeah, that's, that's what makes it difficult for me to say no. When, when do you say no? Like, is it kind of just, as you said, when you gauge your temperature and seeing how you're feeling? Yeah, I think if it's if I if I feel like I just have too many projects on my plate, I mean, I literally have a list of stuff right here. And if this list is too big, I pretty much am saying no. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, if I if I feel like I can't fit it in or uh, maybe in in a rarer case, but like you can kind of gauge when people approach you. I'm sure you run into this, too, is like, is this person going to be difficult to work with or do they know what they want? Mm -hmm. Yeah. if I get a sense that someone doesn't know what they want or that they're going to be hard to communicate with, whatever it is, um, I do myself a favor just by saying no. And uh, But I try not to just say no. I try to like point them in a direction of right. you know that might be helpful to them. So You pass the annoying customers off to your friends. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I think, no, you bring up a good point. I think that's important, um, especially if, you know, if it's purely because your plate is too full. It's a perfect opportunity to, you know, pass some work on to your friends, which I think is always important. Very important. Sometimes I'll say no right away, but then that's all of a sudden the time opens up. I'm like, oh, did I say that too preemptively? It's hard to think ahead. It's there's so many different moving parts that go into that, especially if you already have like a full plate. Is there a little bit of time that I can cram this specific project in or or not? It's but if you feel like it's not good time, then say no. And, you know, if you do end up with that free time, take some free time and just chill out. Right? Yeah, totally. Dope. Let's end it off there on part one. We will be back in part two with show and tell and more after this. Welcome back to the Show and Tell podcast. This is part two of the show where I ask the guest to bring in an item of significance, something that means something to them. They explain why they like it, why you might like it too. And we get to learn a little bit about the guest through this item. There's also some other fun stuff towards the end of the show. But first, it's time for Show and Tell. So 92 Elm, what have you brought in to Show and Tell to share with me and the audience? I've got this pulled up on my phone here because I don't have the actual book with me. Uh, but this is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. It's a book and very good book. I recommend it to everybody. Dope. And we kind of talked about it earlier in the podcast, but um, sort of the idea of the 10,000 hours rule, 10,000 hours theory, 
different names for it, but just the idea that, you know, logging lots and lots of hours into a craft with a lot of intention eventually will get you uh, to that really um, next level, the that master level. And that's definitely something I've always, I've kind of always taken that approach with things in my life. I mean, earlier on in my life, it was sports um, before I found music. And then when, once I found music, it was very much that. I think I latched onto it. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and like, I'm, I don't really view myself as like a naturally gifted or naturally talented person at a lot mm-hmm. of things. Um, and I think the way I've been able to excel at things has just been working harder than people who are not naturally talented. I always kind of had like a chip on my shoulder about that. Like, all right, you're bigger than me or you're faster than me, but I'll, I'll practice more than you and I'll, I'll try to, you know, get to that, that next level. So that's kind of the approach I, I took with, with music. And yeah, I, I think that's, that's kind of how I think about all that. Yeah. That's awesome. I think, like you said, with sports, I think that is a very athletic mindset. I, I know that my, my boss, Jimmy Conrad, shout out Jimmy, if you're listening, he, so he played in a world cup. He played in the MLS, wow. he played soccer professionally, and he always mentions, or he always, you know, refers to how he got better and he always says how he wasn't naturally gifted like other players but he got better by going out to the park and working on his weak foot working on you know his first touch and all of these other things that other people weren't doing or he's like you know these people aren't out there i'm if i want to make it i'm going to go out there and get better and put in those ten thousand hours so it's just as you said you know if you're not naturally gifted at something it doesn't mean you can't find a way to be good at it you know, it's because a lot of it comes down to a mental game, especially in sports. Again, you know, in sports, if you are mentally smart, you can figure out ways to beat the opposition in ways that don't necessarily require raw talent. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I like that. Like what you just said about working on your weak foot. Uh, I think that's that's totally it. Like I still I still do that all the time. I mean, there's certain aspects of production or of uh engineering or just creativity in general that i feel like are my weak muscles or my weak foot and i'm Mm -hmm. you know i'll set aside extra time to kind of work on those things you know earlier on it was you know okay i can write chords but i can't write bass lines so let me spend some time figuring out how to write an effective bass line or it was i can write drums well but i can't really write melodies so let me figure out you know study melody writing and, and figure that out so just always kind of looking for uh weak spots in your toolkit and trying to like bulk those up a little bit i think it's important so now i'm not going to refer to twitter i'm going to refer to instagram oh, for this okay, next okay. question cool. <laughs> changing it up a little bit you know i like to keep the listeners guessing um i like to show my my capabilities of research in you know more than just one social media platform but sure <laughs> this one comes from instagram i noticed that you somewhat recently are picking up a new instrument yeah. How has that been? Because that is kind of like the very first stage of the 10,000 hours kind of putting in the work. How has that been so far learning something entirely new? But I mean, it's also still obviously rooted in music, but how is yeah, that Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, with, uh, talking about keys, like p- piano and keys, it's um something that I've dabbled in for a long time. So like, you know, some of my earliest music I've, I've would write some melodies there or you know very occasionally i'll kind of figure out shapes on the keyboard and like record in one chord at a time but i can't really play it live all in one take um and i think that yeah that's something i've been trying to 
improve on a lot or I want to improve on a lot during during quarantine is, you know, I think that's going to be something that's going to serve me long term. So if I'm able to like play out my ideas for artists or for vocalists or something like that in the studio, uh, rather than being like, all right, hold on, wait one sec. I'm going to make this really crazy MIDI chord progressions. Just wait, just wait. Uh, like if you can just play it in real time, I think that's like definitely something that, that could, um, be of value to me. So, yeah, that's big. It almost, it gives you more credibility too the artist can be like, Oh wow. He actually like knows music and the right. yeah, structure yeah. and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah. Do you get frustrated easily when learning something new or have you found that like, what are the, like, are there any specific humps that you can think of that you've had to get over when maybe not even just in this regard, but just in any uh, learning experience? I would say yes and no. It just depends on the thing I'm doing. Like keys. I don't really get frustrated with, I just have to take it slow, but I, I enjoy that. But um, my friend actually just lent me his uh, Fender Strat guitar, and um, mm. and I've been trying to <laughs> trying uh, to learn that, and that's super frustrating to me, just because of the f- mechanics of it, the physical, like having to bend your hand around the neck of the guitar and having to make weird chord shapes makes your hand really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so that is very frustrating to me. Like I, I don't have a lot of fun doing it, but I'm trying. I, 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 it makes me think about when I tried to pick up guitar and that's, I say that very loosely because I didn't really commit that hard at all. And I was younger, but my mom would play guitar, um, when she was a preschool teacher. So she would have a guitar around the house. And as soon as I got to the chord that required me to press down two strings at once, I was done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. Like, no, I can't do it. I can't <laughs> That's do it. That's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah. It's difficult. Have you learned anything about yourself in picking up something new that you may, might not have known about yourself before? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's very philosophical. It is very I always, philosophical. Um, I try to hit one of those every episode. <laughs> I I don't know if I've like consciously learned anything about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe with the guitar thing. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think sometimes I'll do things good enough for what I need it to do. So like with the guitar, I haven't, if I'm honest with myself, I haven't really been trying to learn it to like mm-hmm. the best of my abilities. I've just sort of been figuring out some really basic stuff that I can record into Ableton and then I can mangle that and manipulate it into something cool. So... I guess I'm lazy. <laughs> like maybe that's something I've learned. It's like I can be lazy sometimes, but I think that's okay. You know, it just it yeah. depends on like what you, what you're trying to do. Right. Because at the same time, you don't want to put out something bad. So you're going to work within your skill set, and if that means recording something on the guitar that you know how to play, and then manipulating it further, then that's fine. Like it's like yeah. whatever works. You know. And again, it's I. It's kind of as I mentioned in part one, you kind of learn new ways and learn how to manipulate something that's already there while you're getting better at that actual thing that you are manipulating. Yeah, totally. Dope. So where did you, how did you come across this book? Was it recommended to you by somebody? That's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I don't really remember, honestly. I think my brother might've been into Malcolm Gladwell and had, or had the book lying around or something. I think I found it on his bookshelf actually, um, in Mm. high school. Uh, that's when I read it. I think I, I must have been probably like 16 or 17. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe I just found it on my brother's bookshelf and just kind of picked it up and started reading. 
Yeah, I'd have to read into that book. Because again, I don't know if I said it on the show or if I cut it out, but I feel like I've heard of that author before. And it's probably because of like whenever I have heard of that author, it's referencing that exact book. I think when people talk about 10,000 hours, they're pro- I feel like people have referenced Malcolm Gladwell before. Yeah, he's, he's, had, a, be he's had a bunch of really popular books. He's kind of like, um, it's sort of like pop psychology is the way mm-hmm. I would sort of describe it. Um, he sort of takes these interesting concepts and then breaks them down using, you know, he'll have like probably four or five examples throughout the book of, you know, reiterating the same concept. Mm, that's really cool. Yeah. I will definitely link to that in some form or another on the show notes at soundcloud.com slash let's show and tell. I'm sure it's available as like a, at least an ebook, maybe an audiobook. Uh, yeah, it must be. Yeah. Something like that. So people can check it out because reading's fun. I don't do enough of it. I remember back to a few episodes ago where I was like, I should read more. And here we are. And I haven't read more. <laughs> hey man, that's, that's where it starts is you got to think about it first. And then this, that's true. Yeah. Then you have to How buy long? a book and then stare at it for like three months and then eventually pick it up. Yeah. I have one now that I've been meaning to read for years and my girlfriend just picked up like a, it's sort of like a book club. It's, it's, you pick between X amount of books per month and you get the book shipped to you and you read it. So that's, is, is giving me a little bit of inspiration to start picking up some reading more. So I have a book that some people might know it's called Wool. Uh, it's part of a three-part series. It's fiction. I've heard good things about reading fiction before going to sleep um, because it kind of like, rather than looking at a phone, I mean, even just that, that's a terrible habit that I still have. Again, since that the few episodes ago when I talked about that. But yeah, maybe I, I'll start reading again and <laughs> we'll, we'll come back. I'll reference this episode in a few months' time and we'll check back in on that. Yeah, a little progress me. report. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to the last part of the show. And that is something that you did not learn in school. So what is something that you have learned in your many walks of life, a pro tip on life, a life hack, a cooking tip, perhaps, um, maybe something that has helped you become more efficient. What is something that you didn't learn in school? I like, I, I didn't think about cooking tips, but I like that. Just like, don't use too much salt. Like that's, yeah, it's important. <laughs> that that, there's important. been a few guests who have shared some cooking tips. Yeah. Um, I, I believe if I'm remembering correctly. It, honestly, it can be anything. It's a fun It's a fun segment. A lot of people like to share pieces of wisdom, which are very helpful to myself when I hear them and to the listeners, I hope, as well. But also, if you want to be fun, like if you learned a way to um, maximize your Call of Duty Warzone game, th- then you can share <laughs> that too. <laughs> right. Um, man. I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, let's do something kind of like life advice, philosophical, because I guess that's on brand for me. But uh I yeah I think to not compare yourself too much to other people and compare yourself to past versions of yourself and it sounds kind of cliche mm. and I'm sure everyone's heard some version of that but man it's it's so true and when I find myself on Instagram for too long or whatever on someone's Spotify page and I'm like oh they have this and you know I don't have that and whatever it is I'm falling into that trap just digging yourself out of that and just being like, well, I'm in a better place than I was when I was 20 or 21 or 22 or whatever. And just if you feel like you're improving from your past self um, and you kind of focus on that, you'll probably feel better, I think. Yeah. I mean, you say it's cliche and I always come back with a response to something like that saying, I think it's important to keep hearing that constantly so that, you know, you're reminded of like, that's a good thing. But I think um, 
what you say about comparing yourself to past versions of yourself is really interesting. And uh, I, I like that little addition to that. Cause I think that if you are to compare yourself to anybody, it should be yourself and how far you've come and where you've been before and like what, you know, products you've put out in the past and how much the quality has risen since then. Hopefully it has. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's big. Yeah, for sure, man. Cool. So before we end the show, this is your time to shine. As if you haven't been shining this whole show. I think you've been <laughs> shining the whole show. Oh, thanks. <laughs> this is your opportunity to tell the people where to go listen to your music, where they can find you and all that good stuff. Yeah, my music, you can find it just by searching for 92 Elm. Uh, it's pretty search engine friendly. I don't think there's another 92 Elm. So just Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, 92 Elm. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I don't really post there that much. I'm on Twitter and I do post there. So yeah, you can follow me there. I love it. So you can find him there. You can also find him at the show notes, soundcloud.com slash let's show and tell if you don't know how to use Instagram or Twitter on its own, <laughs> but you know how to use SoundCloud for some reason. That's my new way of saying it because I find it interesting. Like, why would you go to the show notes if you can just go on the app itself? But I'm going to put them there just in case you are listening on SoundCloud. You can find the notes there as well as the Malcolm Gladwell book. I will put some sort of link there. If you want to follow us on social media, it's at Let's Show and Tell. You can also follow our Spotify playlists. And the last thing I will say is if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend as you would share anything with a friend that you enjoy because sharing is caring. Peace. Peace.